Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. In this episode, we have our annual year review and uh, prediction episode, uh, and it is a doozy. We talk through what has been an incredibly busy year in open source, cloud repre- repatriation, AI, ML, ChatGPT. Um, we lay down some really interesting insights and then project forward not just into 2024, we actually have two years of predictions and trends that we see happening and shaking, shaping and shaking the market. Uh, I'm still excited about, about this conversation we had and I know you will enjoy it. I, to me, because the HashiCorp license thing was one of the big news stories of the year, and I, I think watching 20, you know, things that's going to drive a lot of 2024 behaviors, but I, I really think that if they had a more comprehensive vision of how they were going to improve enterprise operations with compliance, governance, standards, you know, real infrastructure is code dev test prod, what I would call infrastructure pipelining, like then those tools would, that in itself is a thing where the tools would fit together. And I, I think they, they, they listened well to customers. They saw customers have all of these problems related to governance and acceleration for their IT environments. But instead of having a vision about solving the, the, I, the, IT problem, they kept building tools that solved the developer problem. Um, and and that's clearly a better go to market. <laughs> clearly a better go to market. But um, I think they're, you know, even based on like the Reddit threads I follow on uh, Terraform, that those tools individually aren't, they're, they're not, they're not individual tools. They need to be part of something else. And I think HashiCorp is missed its opportunity and thus driving the license change to to own the something else same way i think docker missed it with with uh docker it's a it's a really hard transition who do you see as there's no binder yeah rub and it's a a great word who who do you see as having made that transition successfully? Um, I, it, you know, interesting. I don't. There, I, I think Red Hat is working really hard on it, and I think the other big open source news story of the year, which was the CentOS uh, pullback. Um, mm-hmm is is sort of an acknowledgement of the two big players in here trying to lock in the the customer value a little bit more um i think red hat's done a, a pretty good job of um building building a suite around openshift that is more of a platform is is more of an oper- enterprise operations 
Interestingly mm-hmm. enough, although they lost the mojo on it, um, cloud the Cloud Foundry stuff out of VMware, and v, there's some VMware VR, the VMware VRO suite, VRA suite, um, does this, uh, you know, they're, they're, oh my God, the, some of the conversations I've had around VMware um, and like them in trying to embed salt in their aria suite i think vmware is trying to do this desperately out of aria um but and they have a lot of the individual tools yeah vmware right. and is also on shaky ground uh after the broadcom acquisition given that Absolutely. they scaled back the workforce and uh, correct slashed plans historically have you seen anybody do this successfully. You've you've identified a number. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to cut you off. <laughs> I'm thinking. Um uh Apple, Apple, and I actually I'll, I'll I'll give you some background on this because I've been okay. watching Apple try to create an integrated user experience for 20 years from the from the days of the 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 iMac. They have been trying to build a uh, mobile desktop where your data would follow you and where you would have a seamless experience as you switch devices. And it's been um, bumpy and rocky up until about three years ago, four years ago. And Mm -hmm. they finally built enough pieces or got enough integration. Like this idea that you can transfer a phone call from your laptop to your phone, right? you know the some of the watch integrations they've been doing like the the bits and pieces where they're like we're we are going to have a consistent user experience across all of your things and i think that mm-hmm. i think they're rewarded for it in the market um i i don't think yeah. we're comparing apples to apples though because <laughs> i i pardon the pun. Um, <laughs> I heard that one. I didn't. I that was that was awesome. You um, made it here. So, so Apple, here. as the company here, they they, they started mm-hmm. with commercial products, and and then uh, worked on the integration. Well, when you're looking at HashiCorp or or yeah. or other open source companies, that that the developer first one that that's an open source core and then trying to build the com- commercial experience around it there is true and there's again yeah. much fewer uh successful companies in that which we've discussed they, in the past as the i know the, 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 historically the i think the, the only two i can the only two i can point to that even came close having made the start in open source or built on mm-hmm. open source which apple hasn't um that's true have been Historically, VMware and Red Hat, and Canonical to some degree. Yeah, yeah. Ubuntu okay. to some degree. I'm sorry, who? Ubuntu. That's Canonical. Ubuntu. That yeah, that that's yeah. Canonical. That's well, canonical. yeah, yeah. The. Um, uh, hmm. It's funny, so, you know, in some ways, SUSE doesn't get enough credit for actually doing a, oh. a good job of, yeah. and, and this might be the, the warning sign of why it's, they, it, it's, it's a hard thing to do to actually build that enterprise 
sort of um you know service service now is not open source but they've they've been proven amazingly sticky at sort of solving this problem um this is they've always been a niche player they did and they, they they know their niche they they target mm-hmm. very well and and they have a stable demographic um they, they're, now they're recently this they're... Year, they've also made some interesting mm-hmm. choices as well like with the acquisition of uh uh d3s and and things like that um that rancher mm-hmm. uh, so they they may be trying to grow their market share but they're, they're still doing it fairly low-key they're they're having it what i've seen is they're having some trouble integrating rancher into the susa ethos which which is really we're building integrated systems for enterprises that are sort of low drama you know very very well connected together um right because red hat when i look at red hat on the other side they they bring in all these open source projects but they they run them independently they don't they don't pull them into a integrated whole um they typically don't mm-hmm. position, or in my experience, they, they haven't positioned themselves as a tech-oriented distribution, but an office-oriented distribution. Like the, their, their main user Which base is... Which one are you speaking of? Susan. Susan. Susan, yeah. yeah. Like they, they, they are a distributions for, uh, for government and uh, similar... Uh, desktop computers that that's where that's what their niche is they're, they're very good at that mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. um yeah so that it again that the, with the acquisition of, of rancher that they may be trying to expand that a bit more and, and there, there's definitely room for them to grow uh but it's also a risky move yeah I, there's a it is mm-hmm. a risky move and they they also are to your other points have had to count on their ability to regroove the people that come along with rancher because that's a that's a that is a that is quite a crew and they operate in a you know kind of on a different plane and all and historically all of them always have yeah, so, so, and and that that crew is no longer there. They they went and started exactly. Acorn, but I you know I I think that the the they they were smart to acquire them, but I think the vibe of Rancher is very different than the vibe of Susa. Because plus I one the other thing that mm-hmm. Susa excels at is they're actually in a lot of embedded um, Linux components, and they're also yeah. in like supercomputers and places where True. um. No, they, they're really they haven't, good at that. Yeah, they haven't made themselves a household name. They haven't they haven't put their logo on everything. It to your point, they are, you know, they're a solid performer. They're the go-to go-to folks when you want you need that collection of tools actually that work well and and you're you know it's getting hidden in the plumbing so look from a 2024 go ahead joanne sorry i just have a question i mean to me there's two kinds of companies 
aside from the good engineering and lousy marketing were, you know, great marketing and shitty product, um, comparative in tech, uh, well, it's always been that way. There's those that see the big picture and start to create that sort of background fabric to what they're going to do. It's a longer roadmap. It's a bigger picture. And they start with one area and then keep evolving, keep evolving, keep evolving. That's an IBM play. That's an HP play. Those are the old, you know, the old guard companies are very, very good at that. Whereas the newer ones, including, I would say, the CSPs, are more focused on, let me do a cherry pick of all the basic problems I can solve, one after another, after another, after another, but that binder doesn't exist for them. It's how am I going to drive market share as quickly as possible without thought to the future? And I think we're at a stage now where, you know, there's going to be tremendous amounts of consolidation, largely for two reasons. One, because the market's dictating it as a result of Gen AI and other AI mindsets or tools. And the second one, because those that are newer have faced a winter storm of trying to refund themselves and their valuations have dropped very dramatically in the last six months to a year. And they now have mm. to rebuild themselves as non-cloud native businesses because they need to recuperate that valuation number. And they're going to start building those. But instead of building, a lot of them will either go under or get acquired. And I would say it's more like get acquired for the technology plays. Go ahead, Klaus. I, I think part of the distinction, though, is that the, the players like IBM, HP, you know, Dell to, to some degree, they they had their start when the market was not saturated yet. So for, for new players, <laughs> they, they have to pick a niche and they have to excel at that niche to even get on the radar and, and then try to, to make themselves a, a household name. I, I don't disagree, but in, in the course of doing that, I think there's, you know, degrees of perspective, degrees of width of that lens, right? Like they're, they're still rather narrow. They'll go two degrees or four degrees wider, but they're not going to go 20 degrees wider for a much longer period of time, which they lose opportunity, but they also have a much harder time than putting that binder or that it's background fabric together. But, and that's that's my my question here in, for 2024, and this it might actually be a 2025 crystal ball because I from a, mm -hmm. a timing perspective. But we have watched companies go to market very narrowly for a long time, and um, and you know there's rumblings. You know, economics, macroeconomics aren't putting the don't look like they're going to put the pressure on next year that we had the last two years but companies are starting to say i have too much fractured it solutions i need mm -hmm. i need a binder that yep. is going to help me unify and govern and conform this 
trend. And we have some topics coming up to talk about exactly this next year. Um, and to me, this is this is part of where HashiCorp, right? And I want to try and do this as a looking forward thing. Because I, I, I think that companies are starting to say, wait a second, I want a unified vision. I want to, I want to buy, I, I don't want to buy, and I don't want everybody in my company team buying different tools. I want to start unifying those experiences and those skill sets. And not just that, I want those tools to be working together because I need governance for them. I can't, you know, I, I need to actually understand what I've deployed. I need to, you know, consolidate that. Um, some people use simplify, but I think the right word might be consolidate or uh, join to your thought, bind together these solutions better. They do, and they're driven by cost. I mean, within the enterprise side, hmm. they're definitely being that vision is partially being driven by cost and reducing their cost. We're seeing it, you know, Rich and I, and, and that article that I sent you guys. Klaus, I'm sorry, I didn't have an email address to send you a copy. My apologies, right. but I can. Um, that being said, it's, the it's the, yeah. it's, it's the um, Henson Basecamp uh, repatriation FAQ. Is the I'll find it right on on cloud. Um, so if I look at it from the perspective of cost reduction, that binder is how do I manage my cloud services better and stop duplicating workloads, et cetera, et cetera. It's very fragmented, even in a hybrid environment. Then I have all my tool sets that don't have any necessarily association with what's in my cloud because they're still on-prem and having, having a way to get to the cloud. And then I have you know other environments coming up, whether it's Web3Base or, or um, uh, I want a distributed environment for another reason, whether it's Edge or something else. There is a lot of, it's not just about the governance and the, and the issue of complexity. It's about the homogeneity of what used to be in an enterprise and is now fragmented everywhere. And it's control, it's cost, it's governance, it's also regulatory. Because anybody who's going to start pulling data or looking at their data for a purpose of using AI is coming up with those kinds of problems. I have too many, too many pieces and I have no way to put them together cohesively. And from a corporate standpoint, uh, I use IBM as an example because they did Watson. It sort of went up, peaked and troughed very quickly but it was still there. And in the background, they started building out all the bindings around Watson, whether it was high-performance computing, whether it was in chips, whether it was in uh, you know, revisiting mainframe stuff. They started looking at that picture like three years ago. Now they're poised to go bigger and have better market acceptance, if you will, of that holistic sort of approach, 2024, 2025. That's one example of it. But there's, to your point, Rob, on the tool side and on the platform side, what I'm hearing a lot of is if I start repatriating some of my workloads off of cloud simply for cost reasons and nothing else, then what happens to my developer platform? 
how do I bring this stuff back and manage it? That's another set of governance issues. And that's also um, with respect to those companies that want to do AI internally and not in the cloud. There, there's, a new, there's a new barrier coming out very quickly as the business cases for AI are getting developed, which is if I put this in the cloud anywhere, no matter how well protected it might be, I'm still worried about it. My legal counsel is telling me not to do that, <laughs> to bring yeah. it home, keep that data as close to my chest as I can, still use the capability of AI to give me pro productivity gain, but I need to keep yeah. that close. Well, that's, that's this, a new this was This was part of the what um, uh, David Henmeyer Henson was saying in here is that the operations burden for cloud was was actually not as not limited. Like he still had the same number. His he didn't add operators when he repatriated pieces. No, right. Some of some of the 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 gains, the benefits here are uh, marketing statements and not. And quick question: Yeah, had he had he not gone to the cloud, had he mm -hmm. not have the had the benefit of a lot of the tooling he is mm. now using <laughs> that came out of the cloud and cloud services would that still be the case this is a, this is what you just pointed out here is yeah. that csps and taking load taking workloads taking data to the cloud have in fact generated a a form of binding, call it cloud native, call it whatever you'd like. Okay. That has in turn had to return to the market a, a much broader, less niche in some ways. A broad, I'll just leave it there. A broader set of tools. They're applicable across a oh. much broader perspective. They cast a a, a you know a bigger shadow and and you know those guys are Basecamp is actually making serious use of that and that mm -hmm. is actually the reason he doesn't have to add operators. This is this is this I I agree with you. I think one of the the things you know there's the 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 classic conflation of the cloud business model and the cloud operational model, operational techniques, and sure. API-driven, um, more dynamic infrastructure, the in introduction of containers as a delivery, CICD pipelines being widely accepted yeah. and used, right? There there are significant, this is why, and it always surprises people when when they they accuse Raken of being anti-cloud because we we are you know bare metal foundationally. And we're like, no, no, no. We our best customers are the ones who are great cloud users because they understand APIs, they understand immutability, they understand like all. Oh, there's all this stuff, and when you and they're when bringing it, that, when it's applicable, they're bringing it home. When it's not correct. applicable, it remains out in the cloud and in the networks. You, I, I have a I have a tongue in cheek question for you, but I'm thinking through some some Gartner analysts that I saw standing up on stage and telling people to migrate their their legacy applications to serverless. Ooh. Is it ever going to be the year of serverless, or is uh, can can we can we safely say that you know this isn't this isn't going to be a 
the the you know your app should be serverless and he uh, uh dhh talks about this too um yeah <laughs> um which i you know he sort of threw in at the end and i i i had to nod about serverless if you did it right is actually going to cost you just as much because you're still paying for the compute cycles sure um, you, you know the funny thing is that uh i'm seeing a lot of comments from developers on mastodon ripping on kubernetes and saying this could have been done serverless instead now having kubernetes. said that having said that kubernetes could have done could have been done so like yeah so the essentially a lot of the sentiment that, that that I hear from from certain threads that that tag mm-hmm. that that use the Kubernetes tag is that um, company like startups they, they decide to deploy things on Kubernetes, uh, and these people feel like there's so much mental overhead on, on managing Kubernetes that it could have been done on on serverless instead. Which isn't exactly wrong. Like serverless has a has a niche for low volume uh, interactions, uh, right? And the, it will may well be that that these startups are jumping into Kubernetes before they're ready, and that serverless will, could have been a good enough prototyping platform, right? Okay, prototyping, so- yeah, it, it's incredibly hard to manage um, version consistency, migration changes, um, behaviors, yeah. right? Or the whole architecture, right? Compliance, I, even. Like oh if, if, yeah. if you run uh, like sensitive workloads, then you need to have your sensors, yeah. and you cannot put your sensor on, on the service platform. Mm-hmm. Um, so well, yeah, I uh, think what you're I think what you're identifying here is a is I'm gonna say it's a life cycle or it's a it's a growth cycle for a lot of these technologies where they 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 can definitely use and it's worthwhile to have available to them a serverless, you know, I don't need to know about what's what's going on behind the curtain. What I need is access to this functionality for a period of time before they crack it open and and have to, you know, get in there and do the fine tuning and the and the kind of mm, pinpoint customized personalized uh, application of of and so i mean it, it, it's almost like saying look there's a there's a place where you start and in order to get a run at it when you're a small company when you have to move reasonably quickly you can take a a slightly one size fits all serverless approach until you get reach a certain point in time and that's that point in time is when you move away from the serverless and get back you know and and really start to invest in infrastructure and and 
visibility and and accountability and management of infrastructure. Yeah. And I think in a great, great way, this is what cloud has has offered to an enormous number of uh smaller, fast growth technology companies. And I'm not talking about just, you know, putting a, a website up on a on a on a cloud and doing you know, kind of lightweight e-commerce. And I think it's, you know, it's almost like saying, look, it's a, it's a, it's either a smile or it's a reverse smile kind of graph. You start early on by, you know, uh, uh, taking this approach. And then there's a point in time when um, you have to, customize and you have to you have to crack it open and take 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 the controls it's it's part of its evolution right i mean i have i agree to an extent that you know cloud did create a tremendous amount of tooling a tremendous amount of capability it gave us guidance it showed us what not to do in a lot of cases what made and and made it clear about what makes sense mm-hmm. from a compute point of view versus a storage point of view and why you know it may not make sense to put everything in the ether yeah. but at that same time i think we're going to see this cycle start to come to a bit of an end and it's going to be driven by AI. Does it come to not an, does, it come, does it come to an end, Joan, or does the the hyper growth come to an end and it finds a kind of a level, kind of a, a consistent and potentially successful, commercially successful level, but doesn't doesn't expect to grow at the kind of rates we've seen for the last 10 years. Yeah, no, the growth is definitely going to decelerate towards a plateau. And I think that plateau will remain for probably two to four years because laggards are still moving stuff into the cloud. Uh, There's some bleeding edgers who are repatriating stuff out of the cloud and going to more distributed models. But what we are going to see in that period of time is the creation of a lot of private clouds. Okay. Calling them laggards. <laughs> that, that made is, my day. Is, is kind of funny, but I will, I, I have to say, you've got this enormous backlog of real companies, real enterprises that are, are absolutely hamstrung by the fact mm-hmm. that they've got you know, enormous numbers of not just the big, you know, mission critical applications, but just the the hundreds, thousands of smaller applications that they really do need to find a way to make them livable and 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 not become, you know, kind of a an infestation. And one of the the smartest things that most of them can do, if they had the means, the the technical means, is to automate 
and manage, you know, utilize automation to manage their migration to the cloud, to manage the end of life for a lot of these technologies that, you know, need to be, you know, put out of their misery. And the way you do that is containerize them, place them on the cloud for the period for a, a period of time until you can build the innards again that makes sense for you. And they they don't lose momentum. They don't lose the use of these applications on which they've become very, very dependent. The, so the, the big issue with, with those tends to be yeah. that um in most cases, these are not small applications. These are monoliths. Uh, and and migrating those to the cloud, if you're if you don't know the strangler pattern, it, it's very difficult. And most right. cases, it's it's. Do you do you really think it is most? Do you think it is most cases, Klaus? I or those I, are the in ones my experience, yes. yes, yeah, yes. Like the yeah. those those who can migrate to the cloud easily that are not monolith, they do that because the effort to do it is low. Exactly. Those who remind who remain again are the ones that the barrier to, to migrate to the cloud is so big or the risk is so big that they decide not to do it. Yeah. But I'm going to make a... sorry for cutting you off, Rich, I didn't mean to. Um I'll, the alternative to that is the third choice, which is, isn't there a SaaS provider that can that I can just offload this whole thing to? Uh, pieces. There are some... many cases. Yes. yes. But there, there's also the fourth choice, which is to bring the cloud on-prem. Right. And that, to Rich's point, and thank you for putting that in because that's exactly where I was trying to lead you was. Build your own, keep it on-prem, take advantage of Edge wherever you can or distributed architectures wherever you can to offload some of the risk and, and cost. And Bob's your uncle in, in that sense because you've now created the pathway for them to take advantage of what the tribal knowledge that they have is in a way that they could not if they just shift it to the cloud. You, you don't. You, do, you don't even have to build your own. You, you don't even have to build your own. Like Amazon, Google, right. they all right. offer solutions. Like yeah. just drop in, exactly. like into your, like goes into your data center, and then you have the cloud control plane to manage your local infrastructure. And that yeah. goes back to my earlier point that we have become. And I think it's a good thing. The beneficiaries of all of the tooling, the management, the you know, basically the the rewards of cloud computing come back when you repatriate in a very big way. And if that form of repatriation you just described is the is the right solution, wonderful, great. I'll you know love it. But uh, even before we get to that, there are huge numbers of banks, insurance companies, yeah. government 
government IT that mm-hmm. is, you know, is they're they're flailing, and they and they need something that is, um, what feels to me like the requirement is bringing automation and smarts to this migration modernization and migration because i think they go together yeah um and it's a it is an evolutionary process and you take um you take that modernization and migration um in a consistent fashion across your enterprise and you've saved an enormous amount of money you've gotten yourself out of a a a lot of technical debt Mm -hmm. but you haven't solved the problem altogether it's a it's a it's a journey as they say and that's there there are some workloads though that are just going to be plain incompatible here i but i completely understand going back to what you mentioned like banking systems right how much of like the core banking system i'm not saying i'm not saying like the user facing part but the core is still COBOL. Yeah. No. Yeah. No, they're it, not. There's no not. way that, that that's going to be automated. It's not. And that's not going to go to the cloud. And it's not going to be migrated. I completely buy into that. It's. But, yeah. But, go ahead. But at the same okay, time, so the, the benefit of these techniques of that we've demonstrated as having a high ROI in cloud are not limited to the cloud. That's, I think we're all no. right. It, we're all yeah. The, yeah. Is putting a, a we're in violent 2025 spin. Does AI then? I, to me, AI is orthogonal to what we're we're describing process and architecture improvements that are making their way throughout the through, to the all applications, regardless of the financial model behind them. Mm-hmm. Does I think, AI? I think machine learning. I think mm-hmm. machine learning has a big role to play in that. And there is some, I mean, is uh, if you, when you say AI, you're talking about kind of generative AI. I'm thinking of generative AI that lets you tap into expertise. Cause that's one of the challenges that we talked about here is that, yeah. is yeah. that people feel like they don't have the expertise to run infrastructure anymore. I think so that maybe, you know, a, that there's, maybe it's a, it's a form of confidence and, 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 and advisory. It's a, it's a, but I don't think it's, at least not yet. I don't. I don't see it as being, you know, the kind of a foundational, fundamental element of this for some time to come. And I'm not even sure that it I, happens. Yeah, I, I don't get the impression that MSPs are particularly threatened by Gen AI currently. Um, and they're the main. main their their main business model is selling expertise right well let let me give you an, a new a, a perspective so if you look at the major of the global SIs there are 20 of the global SIs they drive 59% of all the revenue in tech of their partner wow. ecosystems the guys who are niche-oriented specialists, whatever, 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 um, 
they are struggling to get business for one reason, not because the Accentures and Deloitte's and Capgeminis and Ados and Tata and whatever of the world are so preeminent in their engineering capabilities, but rather <laughs> because they've created this complex matrix that it's very hard to get the attention of the global SI if you're one of their channel partners because each partner manager is competing against each other functional group or partner manager group or whatever. So let's take something very specific. In manufacturing, if you're doing scheduling, materials handling, just as an example, because it's concrete, no pun intended, but if you're in that niche and you happen to be a world leader in the technology of that stuff, and you're a channel partner to a Deloitte or an Ados or any of the bigger boys, getting their attention and navigating the complexity of how they've done their operating model is very expensive, very time-consuming, and you're beating your head against the wall unless they come to you because they have a client that has a specific need. That, that you fill. It may be just a listed that partner. That you fulfill. Yeah. That you fulfill. Yet you're competing against 200 other companies that are also in that same niche and whatever, whatever. So okay. it's very difficult for those companies to be exposed. And what that ends up driving is the SIs start focusing on those services within the cloud provider networks that are most profitable to them. So I okay. keep raising how does the that address how does that address the original question, Joan, Joanne? The question that seemed to be one of starting with um Rob's Rob's point of is it AI? Is it something else? Is there I'm what, getting there? What oh okay. Sorry. <laughs> if it was a long-winded answer, but I'm trying to give you the context around it. So now all of the all of these companies that want to do AI need to understand where that data is living and who needs to be involved. And they go to the big SIs because that's the primary partner of the cloud provider because the cloud provider is not give, doesn't have the specific solution that they need and they're getting lost. So you're talking about customers. You're talking about customers, customers. Yes. Some of the millions of companies that you're talking about that I call laggards that you're saying are just basically trapped. There's this confluence happening of I'm a big SI, so I should be omnipotent and have a solution for everything. Yet they don't know the thousands of companies that are in their own networks. When it comes to AI, if you don't know where what the data requirements are and have the clean data for particular types of sectors or industries, even to Klaus's point about COBOL, you can't get from here to there. So AI is going to start pushing its way through as a driver. I want to do AI. You have to reconfigure this whole thing, this whole model who, of who who's issuing the, the the statement. I want to do AI. Are we talking about customers, the the customers, small small vendors, customers. or the? I'm sorry. No, customers. Banks, insurance companies, um, retail organizations, uh, manufacturers of 
very specific types of goods. They're all saying, I want to jump on this AI bandwagon, but I can't get from here to there because I have no, no MSP that's going to help me get there in the way that I need them to, whether it's data cleansing, integration, all of the basic stuff, fundamentals, that's where the holes are starting to reveal themselves in the big market speak about AI and Gen AI does in particular. That, does, that, that narrative ends up for me being one in which either you've got a new class of MSP Mm -hmm. or the, you know, the entrenched and already, you know, existing MSPs change their spots and they evolve one or the other. Okay. But, but I guess I was taking, uh, maybe I was taking uh, Rob's question a little too literally as, you know, does generative AI actually incorpor- get incorporated in the in the solutions themselves as opposed to oh. driving driving? Oh, the actually, yeah, no, I was thinking the second. I'm I'm I am. Thank you. Okay, I, sorry. I, I think I think I, they're I, they're both I relevant apologize. questions, but but I I believe that um here's a 20 and we're i'm watching the clock but a 2024 prediction that i've been making widely and i'm happy to repeat here is that i think we are going to see generative ai driven acceleration in people's you know normal work show up materially this coming year that we're we're going to see people who are using these technologies to write code faster produce uh scripts better do marketing copy better produce better documentation i i think we are going to see the companies who are using that pull ahead by leveraging the 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 tools better um and but i also think that there will there will be better there will be better there will be better tools the co-pilots and the uh, the assistants are going to be you know 2024 will be the year of the co-pilot if you'll pardon pardon me uh pardon this that expression and and it's and what i mean by that is um these are the these are the tools and these are the the assistants that are going to make you know kind of turn a lot of individual they're going to be able to turn employees of many of these enterprises that you're talking about into superstars their productivity is going to go up I, in a major way i'm not so sure about that so i i i'm going to, to yeah. play the devil's advocate here on that good um good. so yes it it can boost individual performance or or, mm-hmm. or reduce the time to commit on, on an individual Right. However, I disagree that that is the major cause of lead time in development. Like I would agree. It, it, 
it doesn't mm. matter how quickly you submit your code if you still need to go through an hour of CICD or or, or, or something like that. So it, it, if you don't have your automation <laughs> in place yes, and, and yeah. your processes in place, right? Writing your code faster is so, not going to so help. So this you. this to me is is where is where the the general statement of missing binders. I think is actually yeah. a 2025 statement. I think we are about to watch Ooh. us use AI to generate so much more stuff and it's going right. to overwhelm the control systems that you're describing that are the actual throttles for getting getting stuff really done and at keeping the quality and governance high that I think yeah. that part of part of the AI rush of ooh I'm more productive Okay. is going to turn back into a government. And I, and I completely buy that. I complete that completely buy that with respect to um the development of a code, the development and the and the the strength of of your automation and your processes is absolutely vital. What I think I'm talking about however is the kind of co-pilot that starts to um, truly have an impact in the professions, legal, mm -hmm. uh, insurance, um, con Banking. just in general, banking contracts, it, and it be it may be more in the in the as the interlocutors between customers and and those not so much in the in the infrastructure and the underpinnings. Uh, actually, I, I, on on that I, regard. Um, there was actually a, a, a recent hot take on, on, on that as well, that um, <laughs> generative tools for natural language uh, targets are largely or, or can be largely detrimental as well. Because if you, let, let's say you are uh, an, you're an author. And, and use a general generative AI tool to to write an article or or document for you. Now the majority of your effort is in editing, and editing something that you haven't written yourself has a higher mental load than editing it while you're writing. Now, having said that, using a copilot type tool to let's say, suggest completing a sentence or something like that, it might give you a, a small boost, like 1.5x or 2x, maybe. Yeah. There's not, it's not going to be a 10x, though. No. I think you're right, but, but look at the... Okay. From a completely personal point of view, I don't have the size of an organization that allows me to hire a multitude of assistants to do an the kind of research I would like to do to keep me informed of as much as I would love to be informed about the important things that are happening, even with all of the filtering and all of the search systems that I have you know, painfully put into place. The fact that I can generate an, you know, using an assistant, a briefing about a company, a product, a particular issue that 
saves me a day or day and a half of personal research is the kind of thing that I'm talking about. I'm not. I, I agree about. with that, and I would say in that in that context, Gen AI is not going to be a productivity boost, but a quality of life boost. Happy to. I'll, um, I'll take that boy. quality of life. <laughs> I'll take it. Okay, but I have a question. How much of it is the HM the HMI side of Gen AI? How much of it is the sophistication of the prompt engineering? And how much of it is the sources that you are tapping for that research? And the fourth is how much of it is <laughs> the 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 that you trust the critical the critical reasoning and and quality of the of the end user the the how how expert how informed how willing is that person how talented I'll you know I, I hate to say that but it's um, how well briefed how ready is that person for all of that and you're you're absolutely right. Those are all factors, but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really of the opinion that rather than writing the contracts and writing the articles, uh, which are going to start to sound very much alike and anodyne, if you, all you do is have yeah. an AI writing. <laughs> already they do. <laughs> they already do. <laughs> the point the point being is, you know, I I miss like hell the the days when I actually walked into a really big library, went to a research librarian who was mm -hmm. zeroed in, focused on something, and knew how to put all distractions aside, zero in on something, and turn around in a matter of an hour or two right. an amazingly in-depth and well-targeted collection of sources for me to then take this thing on and go further i, yeah, I exactly. think yeah. I, I think that the, the problem is not so much that these research librarians went away that the, the problem is that the rate at which the new information is being generated and, and, and produced has outpaced the, the rate at which these people yeah, can exactly. process that information. Like again, 20 years ago now in a library, it like if the, the, the data or the sources that you were given are five years old, that's fine. Nowadays, five months old is ancient history. Exactly. And I'm and I again hmm. This is not a, it's a combination of the environment in which we live. It's the, the expansion of these, you know, the fact that it's, it's everywhere and all at once that it's, a, that it's happening. And that's why you need these kinds of, um, call them assistants, call them, call them, you know, uh, amplifiers. Uh, this is. 
you know, this is well, this is the exo this is the exoskeleton for your brain, you know, kind of stuff. And that's, that's <laughs> funny that you used the well, term amplifiers. I would actually have used the opposite filter. Yeah, filters. Well, mm -hmm. I, they're both, but yes, you're right. Oh boy, it's, all right. This but, is but this either is... way. <laughs> Go ahead. Jay. I just want to drop this in before we have to get off the phone yeah. or the Zoom call. Um, you're also going to see. My one of my predictions in 2024, 2025, probably mid-year next year, we're going to start to see RPA meet AI to yeah, solve the right. problem that Rich is discussing, to put more automation before you get to the Gen AI engine so that you're streamlining that whole process and making mm -hmm. it more relevant, more contextual, more situational. And a lot of that issue, uh, which I don't consider to be productivity, because like you, Rich, I go down the same kind of path from a research perspective. It's got to be empirical. It's got to be quantitative, got to be qualitative, blah, blah. So that's why we have such a big ecosystem of, of, of reach to get the information from to then synthesize it. RPA can do a lot of that. But heads up, Thomson Reuters, Bloomberg, all the major media outlets, they're all going down their streaming path of being able to insert into the AI engines, the NLPs and the LLMs, more recent and relevant information, which is unfortunately going to make life even tougher for some of us. Because I'm not sure what how do you know who to trust? Pardon me? All right, wait. I'm I'm gonna we need to wrap it up. This is this is a definitely a topic <laughs> for next year. And we will we will dive into it because um this yeah. it's it's gonna be I'll say delightfully disruptive because I like the alliteration, but we could also say destructively disruptive too. So I this has been fun. I actually feel pretty excited about the coming year. Um, based on the conversation. So I'm going to go up, update Racken's numbers and push them higher. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> We're waiting for you to embed ChatGTP, by the way. Uh, oh, I actually have a, a, a you're going to have to wait till next year, but I'll, I'll do, give you a demo and an update on that. It will be eye-opening for y'all. That's a good teaser. Oh, I'm sure it will be. Um, next week is a off week. And then we will pick it back, pick it right back up. What's our topic for the first week in January? Uh, first week in January, I just had this up somewhere. Um, first week of January. Right. Is sustaining old infrastructure, lessons learned from maintaining a century-old house. This is a talk I submitted, um, and we'll, we'll go through the outline on that. And then we have data cloud. Um, data DevOps, mm -hmm. FinOps, data ops. Um, and then we have the adapting versus agility conversation um, that I was teasing before. We could switch that up. Actually, that's not a bad order because I think that talk will be ready by by then for review. Um, and then I'll be ready. We, at some point, I, I didn't want to spring it on people, but probably early February, we'll do the uh, book review of the um, Never Split the Difference book. Cool. Which is which? If you haven't read it, it's an easy read and absolutely, absolutely 
um, game changing to me. All right. Hasta la vista. Hasta la vista. Enjoy the holidays. Happy New Year. You too. Happy Cheers. New Year. Happy New Year. What a fun conversation. It is amazing when we can take a consistent group of people having deep, thoughtful conversations, really driven by uh, research, knowledge of the industry, and put them to the test, bounce ideas off each other. Um, one of the things I loved about this episode is that we didn't agree on a lot of things. Um, and that is something that I think the room enjoys. Uh, we learn from each other a lot more that way. And we would learn even more if you chose to join us. If you added your voice and questions into the group, you can find out our whole schedule, how to, how to come in, uh, where the Zooms are, at the 23.cloud. Check out our schedule and come in. We want to hear your voice too. I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and, you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. All part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.